When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's November 3rd, 1994, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it was on this day that the British government gave the police new powers intended to prevent teenagers from taking pills in fields and waving their hands in the air and saying, are you sorted for ease and whiz? A.K.A. raves. Can you tell I never went to one? (laughs) The legislation was called the Criminal Justice Act. Uh, And indeed, it did criminalise people just for attending or even intending to attend a party. It was astonishingly far-reaching. The list of things that were introduced by this bill, including the police power of unsupervised stop and search, the right to silence was no longer a sort of clear-cut means of not incriminating yourself, and they had this whole new category of disruptive trespass to try to stop people from occupying fields. The response was so intense, given what people were actually doing, which was just going out and listening to music together. And although there had been concern about raves for some time, it kind of seems like the drive to pass this act was driven by a sort of a moral panic that erupted around one specific festival or rave, depending on how you look at it, which was the Castle Morton Common Festival in 1992 that attracted media outrage over its numbers, supposedly between 30 and 40,000 revellers. Revellers is a great word. Revelers, is, that's a tabloid word. Can you tell I never went to a rave? <laughs> Revelers is a word you only read in the mail on Sunday, isn't it? Yeah. Even if they're talking about something completely kosher, like, you know, the New Year's Eve party at Buckingham Palace. There will be 10,000 revellers. <laughs> <laughs> and the party itself was meant to be much smaller. It was meant to be this gathering of travellers who were kind of the inheritors of the old hippie ethos of the 60s. But they'd been turned away from their original destination in Gloucestershire, I believe, and had gone and parked on the side of the road at Castle Morton, where they found these fields where they could mount their party. And uh, word got out via these answering machines, which were the things through which people uh, in the rave scene tended to organise and apparently the answering machine message went like this right listen up revellers sorry were they using the word revellers as well yeah so the answering machine said right listen up revellers it's happening now and for the rest of the weekend so get yourself out of the house and on to Castle Morton Common be there all weekend hardcore I love all the stuff actually about how people used to use 80s and 90s technology to organise these mass flash mob events because You know, nowadays in the world of social media, of course you can organise a free party or a rave or a festival spontaneously, whatever you want to call it. You use WhatsApp, basically, right? But then, I mean, it ties in bizarrely with our M25 episode from last Friday, um, because it was the opening of the M25 in 1986, which gave ravers somewhere to decamp once London had become heavily policed. Because, like, the police were on to, to rave culture. They were trying to clamp down on these massive parties because of the drug use and the violence that mm. sometimes accompanied them. 
And so they realised that they wouldn't get away with organising a free party in London. So what you do is you put messages out on pirate radio. So you, you like infiltrated FM signals. Then you had this network of answer phone messages. And on those things, you told everyone to go to a, an, an allocated service station on the M25. Like, the, you know, <laughs> That's brilliant. the kind of place where you have like a WH Smith and a Happy Eater. And everyone <laughs> stands around there and waits for someone to get a call or a signal or something. And then an air horn goes off or a car horn and everyone gets their glove box atlas out because you know there's no uh, civilian sat nav in these days and everyone just follows the lead car round the m25 to some field somewhere near london and doing it that way you could get people basically from all over the country to descend on a place and there's nothing the police could do about it responsibly because you would be making a big scene to try and disperse that number of people. And once they're there and they've taken drugs, it's not safe for them to drive away anyway. And the electronic group Orbital got their name from this very practice of driving round and round the M25, waiting for instructions on when the party was. And your descriptions are making this sound like a very wholesome, adventuresome activity. But in fairness, you know, I don't want to come down too hard on the side of old stuffy (laughs) old people not letting them have their race. For the residents of Castle Morton, it was a bit of a hellish experience because because the whole the whole thing is that anyone who's ever organised well anything really, but particularly a festival, knows there's so much that you have to do in terms of health and safety, in terms of setting up, you know, toilets for everyone, even those kinds of things, and then liaising with the local community, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Obviously, the beautiful thing about having an open rave if you're organising that is you are under no obligation to do yeah. any of those. You things. have to worry too much so, about disabled access to your portaloos. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I mean, mm. the, the hippies weren't that excited either when all of these ravers turned up. There was a Guardian article that spoke to some of the people who were there and they said that basically, you know, it was this whole little community of these new age travellers. Most of them spent most of the year working on farms and they would get together and have these parties. I'm not saying that a little bit of grass might not have been smoked at them, but the whole point was that they were sort of getting together as a community to celebrate the end of a season of work. And so then all these ravers who've got nothing to do with the community just descend and turn it into 30 or 40,000 people just gathered in Warwickshire on this piece of grass. The local MP, a chap called Michael Spicer, complained that some residents had to undergo psychiatric treatment in the days that followed, which might sound like a bit, you know, like that's going a bit far, but the music was lasting from midday to 5am every day. Plus the poo, the torrents of poo, (laughs) presumably. (laughs) I was going to say, I haven't seen that headline. Yeah, and you look at what the Criminal Justice Act that we're commemorating today eventually allowed police to do, and it just seems like overkill. So it allowed police to intervene when just two or more people were merely making preparations for a rave. I mean, that is very different, isn't it, to 30,000 people showing up. And it even had a provision in section 63, 64 and 65 of the Act to prevent electronic dance music. So it was the first time the UK government (laughs) had legislated against a type of music. I mean, that is the sort of thing that they do in Saudi Arabia, isn't it? It's not supposed to be the sort of thing that we do here in Britain. It was defined as music that sounds, quote, wholly or predominantly characterised by the emission of a succession of repetitive beats. That was outlawed in Britain. And the fascinating way that the dance music scene responded to that definition of what their music was, was that they created a whole lot of types of music that had uh, more kind of breakbeat stuff in it. And this particular British electronic group called Orteca released a three-track <laughs> EP that was called Flutter, and it was deliberately composed using 65 distinctive drum patterns that didn't repeat so that it could be played in public. At the end of the day, it wasn't really about 
anti-socially loud music or even drug taking really it was about cracking down on the kind of permissiveness of the 70s and 80s and the sort of broader demonization of alternative lifestyles as well because it's around this time that you had laws targeting things like squatting unauthorized camping which was basically targeting Mm. travelers and gypsies the act actually included repealing the obligation for councils to provide sites for travelers so it was it was more about controlling people yeah because i can't imagine that the police would have cared that much about a spontaneous untaxed car boot sale (laughs) you know what i mean which is a pretty similar thing isn't it turn up in a field and do a thing that's a bit under the radar it's that it was a generational fight as well and i do think that the passage of legislation like this it does expose a kind of tendency within British life to trade our civil liberties for the knowledge that other people won't be allowed to engage in practices we Mm. dislike. You know, be that drug-taking, raving, unauthorised camping, anything like that. (laughs) You know, there have been several instances where I feel like the vibe in society is it's okay for the police to have more powers if they're going to use them to prevent other people doing things that I don't like. But also, I don't know that they achieved their aim. It's not as if everyone just stopped taking drugs and the drug dealers stopped selling drugs. You know, these things just shifted into the corporately approved versions of what the rave scene had been. And, you know, you could go to the mega clubs and get drugs the way that you could go to a field and get drugs. Well, they're not for a week on end. Some of these parties went on. No, you'd probably have to pause. (laughs) I mean, I do think that sort of does challenge those who say that, you know, not everybody at raves was on drugs. I mean, the vast majority of people that are dancing for a week are on drugs. I mean, you know, with the greatest will in the world. I mean, I personally don't like electronic dance music. I can handle about 20 minutes. If I've got a mate next to me on ketamine, I imagine that's 10 minutes that I would be able to withstand. <laughs> but if you're there for a week, you've, you've got to love more than just the music, surely. So after much protest, uh, the number of people that constituted an illegal free party in the UK was eventually increased from three um, (laughs) by the (laughs) Anti-Social Behaviour Act 2003, Section 58, which now covers indoor parties and outdoor parties of more than 20 people, which means that I've (laughs) been to quite a few illegal parties. One of my best friends, Nikki, her 40th birthday took place in Verilumium Park in St Albans. Uh, She invited along a load of families and their kids. She said, we'll be in the top right corner over above the Splash Park. You know, bring a barbecue, bring a picnic. There were about 50 of us there then. That was an illegal party. I bet none of you thought to bring a portaloo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there was some spontaneous dancing. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realise that I was uh, playing fast and loose with Britain's laws so ostentatiously. I mean, I went to an outdoor Glenn Miller concert <laughs> once. I think I'm going to start referring to myself as a raver. Now, that is music that's hard to dance to without ecstasy. <laughs> Tomorrow. There's one American in the cast, Chris Columbus's daughter Eleanor, who has the crucially non-speaking role of Susan Bones. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network.